Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rollbar. How important is it for you to catch errors before your users do? What if you could resolve those errors in minutes and then deploy with confidence? That's exactly what Rollbar enables for software teams. One of the most frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Most teams either A, rely on their users to report errors, or B, use log files and lists of errors to debug problems. That's such a waste of time. Instantly know what's broken and why with Rollbar. Reduce time wasted debugging and automatically capture errors alongside rich diagnostic data to help you defeat impactful errors. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow. It integrates with your source code repository and deployment system to give you deep insights into exactly what changes caused each error. Give Rollbar a try today at no cost to you. No credit card is required. Our listeners get access to the Bootstrap plan with 100,000 events for free for 90 days. To get started, head to rollbar.com slash changelock. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of JS Party. I'm Faras Abukadije, one of the hosts here at JS Party, and this is episode 42 of the show. It's uh, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. We're uh, actually discussing the decentralized web, uh, also known as the peer-to-peer web, uh, and we'll also be talking about the DAT project and the Beaker browser. We're here with Matthias Boos and Paul Frazy of the Beaker project. And uh, I think I actually think uh, Matthias is joining us from the jungle. You want to say hi, Matthias? Hello. From the jungle. <laughs> and uh, Paul, you want to say hi? Hello from regular Austin, Texas. Nice. So uh, I thought we could, uh, well, actually, before we, before we go further, I'm, I'm kind of curious, why are you in the jungle, Matthias? Uh, I'm spending some time in South America, and there's a huge jungle down there. So it's like, why not? And you have pretty good connectivity from there? Yeah. So there's like, you know, if you go deep in, you, you don't. But if you find a, a cafe or a, a, this place you're staying has, has decent Wi-Fi. So, yeah, it's nice. Then you can go walk like five minutes and you get eaten by a jaguar. So <laughs> Okay. If we lose you, we're just going to assume the worst. We're going to assume it's a jaguar. <laughs> yeah. Call the authorities. Yeah. Take over all the modules. Sounds good. Nice. So um, how about we get, we get started with uh, just sort of tell me a little bit about um, just high level. What is, what is Beaker? Uh, maybe, maybe Paul, you could start with that. All right. I like to say Beaker is a browser for people who love the web and they miss the part of the web that was like in the nineties when the web was really exciting and full of potential. Um, we had this time when we were all saying, everybody's going to have their own website. And we started to kind of get that with like GeoCities. But then over time we started to go into these more structured experiences with things like Facebook and it all became a lot more proprietary. And so we're trying to wind the clock back and get back to that original idea of the web where everybody is not just consuming or using somebody else's platform, but you're actually building things. And in fact, the idea is that everybody is able to build a website. And to do that, we're using peer-to-peer tech 
so that you can create websites and publish them from the browser itself. Now you can just click a button just like that. You got a website. You can share the URL with somebody and there you have it, your personal website. And then from there, everything else. So what makes these websites different than like a, a website that I, you know, that I could put on, uh, you know, I don't know, like on AWS or maybe even like a, I don't know, a, a website that I could set up on one of those web, free website hosting platforms? So at the core, we're using the technology that Matthias has been building for some time, which is the DAT protocol. And uh, Matthias is going to tell all about that. It's a kind of, sometimes we say it's like a BitTorrent 2.0. So it's a way to publish files and websites uh, right off your computer. And then when other people visit your site, they can actually help give bandwidth to keep the website online. So it's like a, the whole network is like a distributed server that replaces one specific host. And that means that you can rehost these websites from any device and the URL stays exactly the same. Mm, okay, so it sounds a little bit like BitTorrent, mm -hmm. right? So, so what 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 are the what are the reasons why we would want to do this? Like, I, I know you, you said a little bit about like getting getting back to like the way the web was sort of meant to be, uh, like the way it was sort of in the early days, the '90s. Like that's that's those were the good days. Those are the days I first got on the web. I remember like the web did seem like different back then somehow, different in some hard to describe way. Maybe like it felt less corporate, less. Uh, Maybe maybe more diverse. Like there were just different, a lot of different weird sites out there, and now it just feels like dominated by these big players. But like, what's a reason why like a normal person should 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 care about this? Because it seems like what we have is sort of working. What we have today is sort of working. Like you know, Facebook is huge for a reason because a lot of people like it, right? Um, these these big sites are all big because people are signing up and you know in in droves because they they're getting a lot of value from from them and so so like why why do I why would I want to do why would I want to have my own website uh, hosted in this in this decentralized way like why why decentralize the web you know the web was the web being weird is a good thing it makes it more exciting and more fun and when you open up the web to being I think what it was supposed to be which is like this commons that everybody can contribute to and not just like pictures and, and stories and, and videos and things like that, but like the actual code that makes up these applications we use, you're going to get something that I think is more, uh, more exciting and also like fits people's needs a little bit better. Because you're using Facebook, you're giving up control over all your data, you're giving up control over the community and the moderation policies. Um, you're locked into whatever Facebook thinks Facebook ought to be. But if you decentralize the web and move it into a, a kind of a peer-to-peer -peer design, suddenly all the application logic is getting moved into the client. And you can just write these applications however you like. And you can work with other people and share the changes you make and just kind of like let the community drive how all of these social applications work. And I think that's really important right now. I mean, we're messing around with how we're supposed to deal with social media now with Twitter and Facebook and all these sort of controversies about uh about misinformation or um uh harassment and things like that and i just don't think that the way that we're doing things now is really responding to the needs that people have so let's just take all that control over the applications and start pushing it right back into the user users hands 
so that it could be more fun and more exciting and better, more responsive to everybody instead of being this one size fits all that sometimes doesn't work out that great. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually also also like to make the point. This is what I like about Paul's uh, wording. There is it's, a, it's actually a very positive vision of you know trying to to go back and you know have users make their own sites and uh, you know get the weirdness back again if you can if you can remember those times. Not everybody's as old as we are, I guess. Um, I also just, you know, this is a point I try to make a lot. It's like, you know, the web is centralized today, but it's actually extremely centralized. It's centralized in very few um, legal jurisdictions and in very few countries. And, you know, it keeps creating problems for people who don't live there also. So there's also just like these big legal political arguments for why we want to decentralize better. It was actually, you know, shown pretty recently with some of the uh, um, GDPR stuff in Europe, where it turns out that, uh, you know, all the companies were US and they had to deal with European laws uh, for better or worse. So, you know, those kind of that kind, those kind of things also uh, um, drives me a lot, at least. And I think that's why we need decentralization. Yeah, I mean, there's the political element of it, which is huge. But there's also just this really basic, like, let's bring the fun back into it which I really feel like has been drained out since the early days. And I just, I want to get back to that. Yeah, I love the, I love the fun argument because it's like it's the positive argument. It's also why we're doing it, like, you know, personal, uh, uh, like, why, not why we're doing it, but like, that's what, at least what drives me every day, uh, you know, the, the funness of it, all the, the crazy sites people put up, all the useful sites, and the, the power you feel when you put something up and, you know, the ease of use compared to using other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 really really cool. I I, I don't like when um, when I build something on someone else's platform. Usually, I feel like um, I feel like I'm sort of at their mercy, and that they could pull the rug out from under me at any at any given time. And like um, I I built I built an app one time on the YouTube API, and um, you know one one day they contacted me and said like the way I'm using it isn't allowed. Um, that kind of thing, you know, where you're sort of you're just like living in someone else's you're playing in someone else's sandbox and they can uh, they can tell you to leave at any time this is not cool so yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of curious so so how did you guys get started uh on this uh working in this space how did you get interested in it you know it's it's two different stories that converged halfway through so matthias maybe start with your story yeah i mean it's like uh i can go on about this for for a long time but um for me, actually, my personal motivation was, first of all, just like a technical interest in how stuff like BitTorrent worked and um, um, playing around, around with networks. I remember I went uh, when I went to university, the, by far the, the class I had that like, blew my mind the most was the first time uh, a professor like showed that you can connect to computers over a network connection, over a TCP connection. I was like, whoa, what is this? It's like crazy. Um, and and like, basically from there on, I was driven on by... Uh, decentralized tech and, and how to build it from a technical point of view. And I remember playing around with a lot with BitTorrent, and I know Faraj, you also have, and I was really amazed how, from a technical level, actually really simple, um, a lot of it is, um, a lot of it was like the BitTorrent and how easy it was to get started with and implementing and how like how rewarding it was, you know, you, you make something at home, a little dingy program, and all of a sudden you can connect with the world and all of a sudden you can get all this content. And, you know, it's just, it feels so empowering building these decentralized things. Um, so that was basically my 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 uh, my first motivation, and then you know, once you once you get past the tech part of it, you start to think of how can we actually use this for things that are not just about the tech, but you know about the things we build instead. And uh, I guess that's where we start, you know, thinking more about community and stuff like that, and 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 um, uh, and also how we can we could back then improve BitTorrent, which is kind of how the 
uh, a lot of the dead stuff started happening and uh, and and how we ended up uh, working together. I guess Paul, that's like long start and, and short ending story. I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, so Matthias was working on that while I was in the secure Scuttlebutt community. And then um, at one point I decided, you know, I'm going to like, well, Electron got to the point where I was like, you know what, I think it's actually possible to make a browser off of Electron. Um, and so once I decided that was worth giving a shot, I stepped back and was like, okay, if I'm going to make a, a browser that's peer to peer, then I need a good tech behind it. And that was really starting to mature right at the same time. And so I was like, oh, this is, this, I, I dropped it in as a new protocol into the browser and it worked just like right away. I was like, okay, well, this is fantastic. So, um, kept on working on Beaker more and more. And then eventually Matthias joined in officially and that's just the rest is history. Right. And you also have a third, a third teammate, right? Tara, I wish she could have joined us today. Yeah. She's in, um, Barcelona right now. I was giving a, a talk. So yeah, couldn't join us. Yeah. So I'll just concur with what Matthias said. Like if, if people are interested in learning about, um, peer-to-peer protocols uh like starting with BitTorrent is a great idea it's it's actually surprisingly simple and like uh you know possible to figure out how it all works and uh and it's quite elegant in its simplicity and and what you can do with it um it totally makes sense that you know that that you need something better though for for like what you're doing with Beaker like BitTorrent won't just won't cut it um so I guess I'm curious to go to learn a little bit more about like what um what people? What are people trying to do um, in this area? Like in the in the decentralized web, what are what are the different approaches that different like groups of people are taking to to um, achieve these goals that you've talked about of of decentralizing the web? Um, and what are the I guess the pros and the cons of the different approaches that you you guys uh, are seeing out there? Well, actually, just one quick note I want to add to your thing that's kind of related uh, for us is like. Um, I think BitTorrent actually is a good example of how to get started. And also like that's the main decentralized thing people usually know. And there's actually a bunch of attempts all, um, already to make a decentralized web on BitTorrent. Um, it's not that BitTorrent is bad or, or you know, uh, has many flaws. It's just, you know, it's a little bit, some of it is a little bit dated, but it's actually a really good protocol still. But, you know, for, for something like the web, uh, BitTorrent just has like, you know, it's missing some technical features that we like from the web, like um, mutability and stuff like that. Uh, like by mutability, I mean that you can, you know, go to a website and has a link, uh, but you can get the latest website every time you refresh and stuff like that. So it's not like that, you know, you couldn't, you could build a decent uh, decentralized web on BitTorrent. It just would be very static and very boring because Bit, uh, BitTorrent by itself is very static. Um, so that's like also where the need, uh, one of the, some of the motivations for for, for the protocols uh, I'm working on came from, like you know, basically how can we make protocols like that better for the web? Yeah, actually, BitTorrent Inc. before they got bought out, actually made their own browser called Maelstrom that had BitTorrent as a first class uh, protocol. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I think they had a different concept of it. I tried it out, and whenever you went to a torrent, it actually sort of acted like a typical torrent client as opposed to behaving like a website. I don't know if they ever quite tried to use it as a drop-in replacement to HTTP, um, which is what we started doing with that. And that was one of the differences. But, you know, back to Frost's original question, the good news is that there's a lot of projects out there right now that are attacking this problem. So for anybody that's that's really into decentralizing the web, you should be happy to hear that. You know, a lot of it has to do with with blockchains. 
Um, ours, you know, the Beaker and Dat, we don't use any blockchains. Um, we uh, we're really actually just seeing how far we can get with Dat, and there, there's some similarities, some technical similarities, because like Dat has this append-only log behind every Dat archive, um, which uh, retains all the history and it uses um, signatures on that that log. But unlike almost every other blockchain, uh, there's no decentralized consensus, um, which is the major feature of a lot of the cryptocurrencies. Um, but you know, the Ethereum project has been really explicit about how they want to build a next iteration of the web with their tech. They they even started, I believe, the Web three foundation and. Um, you know, uh, I guess almost all of the blockchain-based solutions have payments at the core of what they're trying to add to the web, which is cool. You know, payments are important. It's important that people can make money off of their work, um, and it, it's all sustainable. But uh, the main difference, I feel like, between what we're doing and, and what the cryptocurrency-based projects are doing is that um, by not using the blockchain by not having decentralized consensus we actually reduce costs even more you can do this all with hardware that already exists you don't have to pay any money to transact on this network and you end up getting a lot of the same kind of benefits where you're detached from any proprietary cloud which is really what's at the heart of all this um, so that would be the, probably the most significant difference between a lot of these projects is there a cryptocurrency involved or not um, and if yeah, there's no, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh no, fine. I was just going to say, if it's if it's if there's no cryptocurrency, then usually I just call it a pure peer to peer project. But if there is, then if there's a cryptocurrency, now it's a blockchain project. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed actually. There seems to be this. Um, uh, I don't want to call it a rift, but it's definitely like a uh, some kind of a split in the peer to peer. Um, community where there's um it seems to me like like you know how they uh, yeah it seems to me basically like there's 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 people who want to use peer-to-peer -peer technologies to um like in a capitalist way i guess uh and those are the blockchain people and then there's sort of the like uh no how about we just like rely on 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 um uh kindness and people's uh, goodwill and sharing and uh and you know because that seemed to work well good enough in BitTorrent and there's so there's like there's like two these two sides it's like the like let's sort of measure everything and uh put money in everything and incentivize things which you know has its has its good arguments but then there's like no we can actually get pretty pretty damn far by just relying on on goodwill and on on um you know exchange and people just wanting to like give give things away um it uh, it almost reminds me of how like people say that Star Wars is like a, is like the is like the capitalist story, and then Star Trek is like the, the 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 socialist version of the same story or something like that. Yeah, it's like, but I don't know what you think about that that um, that breakdown. Well, I mean, sticking with that metaphor in Star Trek, um, capitalism feels out of place because they have the ability to just materialize things out of the air. So, like, why would they be capitalist in that society? And I think the same kind of metaphor sticks here. Um, we all have our own computers. They're all able to transact with each other. We all have excess bandwidth and, and disk space to, to, to share. So why not go at it from an altruistic uh, viewpoint um, and keep the system kind of as low friction as possible, as opposed to having to require payments to be in everything, which is not always convenient for people. And, and you got to convince people to make that payment in the first place. And 
it's I don't know if it's I don't think it's a very good user experience. Yeah, I also think I think there's like a, a big case to be made by you know one of the things that the decentralized web does really well is make it easy for people to produce content and put content online and 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 the incentive to put your own content online is kind of there already because it's your content you want people to share it that's why we we use centralized services today without, without getting paid for it because we, we want to you know share our thoughts and 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 tweets so so like the that's the, that's what i'm driven by you know just allowing people to easily publish content uh and then uh Sure, you know, we can talk about incentive structures and stuff like that. It's also, there, you know, that's an important discussion, but I don't think that's what drives the web, uh, the decentralized web. I think it's more about publishing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all about getting payments into the network so the people that make content mm-hmm. can, can make money. I'm completely on board with that. And when a blockchain gets to the level of maturity that I feel like it is worth using, I'm all about it. But I don't think that the infrastructure itself has to be driven by payments. I think that might be a step in the wrong direction. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. it's like a, it's a, it's a feature more than a protocol. This episode is brought to you by Indeed, and I had a really interesting conversation with Darren Nix, the group manager at Indeed Assessments. And Darren is running a remote first team that operates like a startup inside Indeed. And you know Indeed, it's a huge company, lots of resources, solving big problems, lots of big data, and Darren's team is hiring. Take a listen. Darren, tell me about the big picture problem you're solving at Indeed Assessments. What our team does is we build tools so job seekers can show off their knowledge, skills, and abilities when they're trying to get a job way better than a resume can. And that lets employers find uh, great hires a lot quicker too and makes the process better for everybody. So you're running a remote first team, looking to hire pretty aggressively Java engineers, front end or React engineers, Ruby on Rails engineers, UX designers, business intelligence, and you operate Indeed assessments like a startup that lives inside Indeed. Tell me more. Because we're basically a startup within Indeed, we get to hire folks all around the country, even if they're not in Austin or San Francisco or Seattle. And that means we can hire really great engineers who want to be able to work from their home city, work on really big problems, but solve those problems in a startup-y way. You know, we host our code on GitHub, or Rails and Redis, use Postgres and React, and we're push on green. So we deploy six times a day. So I've seen charts that say like, hey, we deployed 13 times this week. And I'm like, haha, we deployed like 78 times because we like to go fast. And so what we're doing here at Indeed is finding ways to be able to continue to be startup-y, but solve really big problems and help hundreds of millions of people get jobs. So if helping out your fellow engineers get jobs, sounds like an exciting problem and you like working on startupy tools at a really big scale send us a note reach out i actually interview every single person who comes to join our team so i'll be meeting with you and i look forward to hearing from you so if you're looking to join a remote first team working on really big problems that will literally impact hundreds of millions of people head to indeed.job changelog to learn more and take that first step So um, I'm wondering um, if you if you guys could go a little bit into your your product philosophy um, as you're building Beaker. What is sort of the approach you're taking, uh, and how are you deciding what features to include in uh, in the browser? Ooh, okay, so you know 
a lot of what we do right now has mostly to do with let's find out how much we can get out of the DAT protocol. Uh, so it's a lot of features structured around that. There's a couple of things we've done that are like outside of that that are just things we like. Like I added um, markdown rendering at one point because I was just like, you know, everybody likes markdown and it's crazy that browsers don't render it already. So let's get that in there. But um, yeah, actually that kind of is the guiding principle. It's like what would make creators happiest and that's sort of what we we stick to so um with with dat what that ends up meaning first of all is the kind of two biggest things you get out of that is the ability to create a website by pressing a button and it mints a public key and that becomes your new domain and now you have a website you can share the kind of secondary facet of that is that you can go to a dat website and copy it which we sometimes call forking the website because it's this almost the exact same thing. You create a new public key, you take all the files off that website you want to fork, you duplicate them over to your new website, and boom, there you go. You now have a version of the website that you control. Um, so it's a forkable web now, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then after that, it's a lot of web APIs so that you can read and write files on these DAT sites um, and also watch the files for changes because it's a real-time mutable network. Um, and that ends up becoming an entirely like the basis of a new application stack for building um, web applications that don't require any kind of server and hopefully don't require any DevOps. You can just publish it and it goes out and uses people's own computers to run. This is fascinating to me because it sounds like almost like what some people are pitching, you know, when they talk about serverless. It's like, you know, just write your client side um, web application, put all the logic into the client and then just, you know, don't worry about the servers we will magically take care of that for you. But the truth is, there's actually servers there that are just someone else's servers that someone else is running and, and managing and you, you're paying for. But this is like uh, almost like a similar or, or better um, developer experience, it sounds like, because you're just building you're building the whole app on the client side and then uh, there just is no server. Right. right. Like it's, it, it's mm -hmm. super all the, all the code. All the code is running in the in the user's browser. Right. Actually, and one thing I one thing I really like about the approaches also is that it's actually it's actually hiding or like it's much more welcoming for people who are not that technical to get into than people because it actually just follows the flow you kind of expect. You know, you're making a website. A website is just a, a HTML page. Um, you can probably figure out how to write something there if you if you Google a little bit. To publish that, you just you know. Click on create a sign and bigger, and you get the link out, and that's it. Um, and then you just have to share that link. People clicking on that link will see the same website. And if you make updates, they'll see the updates. So it's just like you don't really need to know how it works. It just kind of works that way. Uh, versus like you know any other kind of publishing where you, you know, need to know about servers or accounts or logging in and like stuff like IPs and all this kind of stuff. So like um, so that way it's actually super user friendly from a non-technical point of view, which I find really interesting because we tend, like we talked about before, we tend to talk about peer-to-peer -peer from a technical point of view way too much. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how do you make a website right now? Well, step one, become a proficient system administrator and <laughs> up on Linux box. It's crazy. Um, so there's definitely a connection in terms of the like to, to serverless in terms of like getting away from DevOps entirely. Um, but with the current serverless movement, it's really about abstracting away the server, which by the way, is cool. I, I definitely think that's cool. Um, but this is like actually serverless, just completely getting rid of it. I mean, and of course, there's another way to get rid of the server too, which is like just use someone else's um, cloud, you know, service to mm -hmm. host your HTML. But right. then you, you have all the problems of of 
of them controlling your um, your digital life, basically. Yeah, but also just just from a you know a user point of view, using any kind of thing like a cloud is a very technical thing. Like signing up to hosting sites is very technical. People would know people who are not familiar with like publishing on the web wouldn't know how to do that. I think it's really interesting with this approach where everything is just in your app, and and uh, that being your browser is that it opens up the web in terms of publishing for a whole new audience that was only used to browsing before. So it's like very decentralized actually in that way. Yeah, I was talking to um, one of the our really good friends of the project, Peter Wang, about this and you know, saying like, is it still the cloud? And he was like, yeah, but it's like the non-proprietary cloud. Mm. It's like, you know, the cloud's about commoditizing hardware and that's still part of what we're doing here. But it's just making, it's almost like making the web kind of a part of that commoditization of hardware. It's almost like uh, if we wanted to use as many buzzwords as possible, it's like you're turning everyone's devices. So you're doing IoT because you're doing all these devices that are out there and you're turning and you're combining that with the cloud, right? Yeah, can we get some so, AI so you, in there? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, right. but so actually this, this raises the question though, like can my laptop or my phone really um, serve a website to all the people that might come to it? Because I mean, I, I make pretty cool sites. Sometimes they go viral. Um, what if like a bunch of people come to my to my site and it's it's just on my laptop? I mean, the answer is super no, like no way. A, a cell phone could not become a traditional uh, concept of a server. And that's actually why peer-to-peer -peer is so important. If we didn't have the bandwidth sharing, then you could have a video go viral and all of a sudden you're, you know, hitting the cap on your home uh, upload, you know, uh, allocation like in no time flat or just swamping your home network. That'd be crazy. Um, so with the peer-to-peer -peer system, you not only have the, the network itself handling horizontal scaling, uh, but you can also tap into cloud, you know, traditional cloud services or a home server or whatever that can transparently in the background keep things online, but has absolutely no bearing on like binding the site to that particular device. It's kind of like, you know, how Java used to be run everywhere. This is like host everywhere. Uh, you know, we, we don't really care who hosts it. But the protocol takes care of the security parts of that. That's like the, that's the only interesting technical part of it, I guess. Mm. Um, but but um, you can just run it, host it from anywhere. It could be in the cloud, your phone. The more the merrier, uh, the better it works. Um, it's like a really fun metric also in general. But uh, it, it doesn't have to be super decentralized. You can still run it in the cloud if you want it to. It's more like it oh, doesn't yeah. matter. So, so if I wanted my app to scale, oh, sorry, uh, you want to say something, Paul? I was just going to say, I mean, like, you can't get around the fact that mobile phones are basically still thin devices. Um, but you still can move, you know, effectively what the peer-to-peer -peer stuff does is it moves control over the signing keys into these devices. So technically, you could even have an iteration of this tech where none of the storage and none of the hosting happens on the mobile device. You just keep the keys down there and have it acting almost like a really light cache and still having the resources be put on a server somewhere but you still get the exact same benefit so have you tested have you tested how well this scales i mean if, if i did make a site um and a beaker site and it was just hosted on my laptop on on like my wi-fi that i have here um and and then it did it did actually go viral i mean so i know like the protocol will, will make everybody who's downloading the site from me become hosters but like how, how well does that actually work in practice like because because usually when you're making like a centralized uh, site, there's actually quite a bit of work involved in architecting it so that it, it can scale to all those users. Like, is there anything that someone would like as a as a creator would have to do differently to make to make their site really scale? Or is it really as easy as just, you know, don't worry about it, just put on put on Beaker and share the URL and it'll just it'll just work? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't like uh, say that we're 
we're there yet in terms of like having it be that easy like f you know from a technical point of point of view it is um the, the protocol should be able to handle that we, you know we have like any other early product we have quirks here and there we're improving um if you know what you're doing you can definitely get it to scale I, I've, I've talked to people that 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 have done that um getting it scaled into like you know a big scale kind of situation but you know we see it seems to work pretty well we definitely you know had some popular sites that that also have stopped working at some point and started working again because we fixed them bugs. so you know yeah so now, uh, uh, you know it's getting better every day but I, my point i think is that no matter how we, we at the end of the day it's it's something you know where we as the protocol developers every time we make an improvement everybody in the network wins so yeah. at the end of the day you shouldn't need to care uh, and that's that's like that's the that's the mission also um and that gets better and better over time so it scales better and better but like there's nothing stopping us from making this work really 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 well in the future like as in like you know you have a facebook scale i don't i i, I would i would say that there's nothing stopping that in the future but you we're, we're not there yet yeah that's that's right and i mean a lot of the work that you're doing matthias has a lot to do with optimizations of the internal data structures which is mm -hmm. related to scaling without a doubt but it's and this is for us you ran into this directly whenever you decided to put wikipedia into a dat and you know after a while we started hitting. Uh, we started to hit scaling limits on the number of files that can be inside of a DAT, and Matthias has been working specifically on on optimizing that, getting in some try structures and stuff like that. So, you know, there's there's optimization that has to happen on the network level in terms of getting people connected and reliably finding each other, uh, and then there's optimizations within the um, data structures itself and making lookups really fast and making sure that it doesn't use a lot of memory to create a DAT site. But there's no indication right now that we're going to start hitting limits anytime soon. Nice. So, so I'm wondering now if you could ex just explain, like, as a creator, what sort of happens, um, like, when I'm making a site, what's actually yeah. what's actually going on? Like, if you walk me through. Ross, did we uh, lose you? Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> uh, it's all good. I'm still, I'm still a noob. You can tell I, I'm not a, I'm not a seasoned host. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was just wondering like what happens when, um, uh, when I make a website in Beaker, like what's, what's actually going on. Um, and then when I, when a user like visits my, my site, like how, how are they actually getting it? Like, can you, could you walk me through it? Right. I can walk you through the first part and then maybe Paul can take over the last part. But, um, uh, basically when you create a, when you create a website, uh, you're the first thing Beaker does is, you know, you click on create website, uh, the button and uh, it creates a new dat and that is basically just like a it's basically just a shared folder on your disk that um uh, that uh, you can put files in that that will watch um and the way that works is that uh it creates a dat link and it's just like this uh, 64 character link uh, that's all uh, hex um that's, that basically <clears throat> reflects a public key and the secret key is just signing uh a merkle tree i gotta say merkle tree now uh of the, <laughs> that's being generated of the data that you put in from a technical point of view. So that's like, you know, we can do a whole podcast of that also. But it's basically just that that's like, you know, verifying the data. Uh, but from the user's point of view, it's just putting data into a folder. Um, so the cool thing is that if you're online, this works even if you're offline. If you're online or when you're online, um, Beaker will start announcing on a, uh, what we call discovery network, which is a couple of techniques to get this uh, out into the world that you're, that you have this, that, um, and other people, if they have that same key, then they can, they can put it into Beaker and, uh, and uh, they'll, you'll connect through the network and, um, 
verify the content and they'll basically they'll start loading your index html page as any other web server and um, you'll start seeing um, seeing the content yeah so from an end user's perspective there's a really big everything as a file kind of vibe here mm-hmm. maybe not in the way that unix talks about it because we don't we're not mapping any kind of um like device drivers or anything to a, to a file at least not yet but um but the uh the interface of that is just a collection of, of files and that's the web you know and websites have always been files so maps pretty nicely um and then all hidden away are these signed this, this basically this append only log which is addressed by the merkle tree and, and it's signed by the key and uh i just want to add here also because it's something that people i often get asked about so you know this this link that your that your that your beaker site has is this you know gnarly looking uh, hex string that nobody can remember and um to kind of, you know, that's not very nice if you're actually publishing, like, for us, your website. You don't want to just have, like, a 64-character string because nobody's going to visit your site. So we actually support uh, naming these through DNS. Um, we can just make a DNS record that has an alias uh, text record to this to this link. So people can put in uh, ferros.com uh, or .org, um, and um, Beaker will check if there's a DNS record for that link, and then it will resolve it over that. But you can still have these, like, normal-looking addresses on the web, which I think is super important for any kind of person to use this. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, the I'd, I'd like to say that we use DAT as a drop-in replacement to HTTP. In a lot of ways, it works exactly the same. The URLs look really similar. The almost the, the, the most fundamental difference is that just rather than using a IP address, we're using the public key. And as a result, you get one extra step in the whole downloading of a website, which is Whenever you go to a public key, well, you know, you're going to go to a, a DNS address and then that DNS address gets resolved to the public key. And then the public key goes into the discovery network to find people that are hosting the site. And that's the one extra step that the peer-to-peer network brings in. Yeah, that makes sense. So is there, is there a way to get rid of the DNS step so that, um, so that like, because DNS is, uh, is, we're back to servers again, right? Uh, is that something that, that you... Uh, you think is is important to 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 get rid of? I guess mm, not really. Actually, um, we have a lot. <laughs> okay. it, it would be one thing if we had a really good solution to replacing DNS. Um, and some people feel like they do have a good one with like blockchains and stuff. Um, and we toyed around a lot with a web of trust based DNS. But the reality is that these domain names you expect them to be global and mapped directly to one entry, and that means you really need to have uh, global uh, registry that has global consensus, which of course it makes sense to use a blockchain for that, uh, at least on some level. But I'm not yet convinced that any blockchain is actually a major improvement over the existing DNS system. Uh, DNS has all these um, organizations flowing from ICANN that are designed to maintain the value that DNS provides. So we're, I just don't think we have a really good DNS replacement yet. So let's not let's not bother with it. And I would point out also, these public keys are a really good fallback from the DNS system. Like, it would be one thing if the DNS entries, um, like, couldn't, like, let's say a DNS entry goes away tomorrow for a site that you love. You, you can record the mapping to the public key and fall back to that known mapping. And in fact, what I suspect will end up happening is a, um, a web of trust that doesn't do DNS, but actually gets more into PKI. Uh, it starts getting into certifying that the name mapping to a public key is, you know, correct. And then it, once that kind of thing exists, you could basically query a bunch of people who have said, you know, this is the mapping, that's the mapping that I saw. 
and you could ask them, okay, this, the DNS entry went away. I don't know why, it doesn't matter why, I just know that it did. What did you have for that uh, address? And then they could tell you, oh, it was this public key. So it's possible to create better resilience in the network on this system. It also sounds like maybe the browser could expose a way for people to just get that that public key, like the way that, you know, when I, I'm going to use a metaphor that the, the people listening to this podcast probably would understand. Like when you're on GitHub, there's the there's like the you can look at a file, right? But then if you just link somebody to that fi- to that file, if the file changes or is renamed or moved to a d- different folder or something, then the, the link, it will change, right? But you can there's like a way where you can copy the permalink to that specific uh, to the to the file at a specific commit so that it doesn't it doesn't change it's kind of like if, if there's a way to do that in the browser I, then I wouldn't need to worry that like the DNS entry would change or go away and, and break the break the link is that right yeah I mean we've been talking about that as um, I think the term we've been using is strong links and that's because that's on account of something Matthias has been working on where so, so data is versioned, right? Whenever you make a change, you can actually go back in time and look at old versions of a website. Um, and so that is the point where you might start to bring in this kind of, you know, no DNS form where you get the public key and then you have a version number and then you have a hash to verify specifically a 100%. Yes, this is the right version. And then, then you would have exactly what you're talking about, a, a really um, like a permanent link. It's not going to be as pretty, but it gives you some good guarantees. This episode of JS Party is brought to you by NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building truly native mobile apps for iOS and Android using JavaScript and TypeScript with frameworks like Angular and Vue. And in this segment, I'm talking with TJ Van Toll from the NativeScript team about why people should care about NativeScript. Thanks, Adam. So I'll give you three quick reasons. First, NativeScript is just a great way to get into iOS and Android development if you're coming from a JavaScript background. You get to use a lot of the tech you might already know when you're building NativeScript apps. So you using things like CSS, NPM, Webpack, and of course, JavaScript. Second, with NativeScript, we let you build performant apps. With NativeScript, we're rendering your apps using native user interface components, so we don't use web views in any way. So your apps are really snappy, and they feel great when your users use them. And finally, in NativeScript, we support both Angular and Vue.js. So if you're already using those frameworks on the web, I think you'll find it's just a lot of fun to use a framework you already know and to create native iOS and Android apps using that same tech stack. All right. If you want to learn more about NativeScript and you like what TJ had to say about NativeScript and what it has to offer you when building mobile apps for iOS and Android, head to nativescript.org slash jsparty. Once again, nativescript.org slash jsparty. So we're back and we're going to discuss, um, I'm curious actually to know what sort of stuff is built on Beaker. Um, cause I, I hear a lot about all these different projects, these peer to peer projects, and, and a lot of them are, are, um, they seem like vaporware sometimes. So is Beaker, va- is Beaker vaporware? <laughs> That's my question. Uh, uh, no, the answer would be no. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there are people making a lot of cool stuff. We've had uh, podcasts, um, music albums released on on that. Um, one of the first things I remember seeing was actually one of the coolest ones, and that was Rotond, um, which was like 
there's this um, hacker named Devine who lives on a sailboat, which uh, is apparently like the, the very cool hacker thing to do these days is to live on a sailboat. I think it's actually a requirement, actually. You have to live on a I sailboat think- <laughs> to be true I mean, hacker. Or be in the jungle. Like, I, I'm here in Austin, Texas. Like, man, I got no threat anymore. Yeah, so, yeah, so he made... um. He made sort of like, it was like a hybrid between a, a blog and Twitter in a way uh, that had this really kind of neat, edgy style that he puts into a lot of his work. And uh, the idea was if you wanted to join into this thing, what you would do is you'd go to his site and you'd fork it. And then you would have a copy that you can edit and then you could follow each other. And it had this kind of like hybrid command line GUI style of doing things. And um, when that came out, it absolutely like crashed beaker really hard because <laughs> it was still <laughs> really close. Uh, so I was having to furiously fix, you know, put up bug fixes just to make Rotan work. Um, but that was really neat because like what ended up coming out of that was since everybody would fork their version of the app, it was a social network, but it was a social network where everybody had their own website where they could change anything about it, which is exactly what we wanted to see out of this kind of stuff. Um, so everybody, when you went to somebody's site, you, you'd see the same, basically the homepage that they have, you'd see their feed and you'd see all the UI work that they had done and any kind of features they'd made. Oh, so it's like MySpace. They could, they could style it like their, their, their MySpace page. It's MySpace, like even more MySpace. Cause like all, <laughs> all the code and everything was right there. So, so, uh, what, what else is there? Is there anything else that's. <laughs> that that, you, that you guys nothing like. That's it. Uh, okay. Rotond. Just to download download Rotond. Uh actually actually one thing I really like about you know all of these stuff that's been built. There's actually been a ton of stuff built on Beaker. It's like it's all very different. It's not just like you know how some technology comes out and you know people make the same app over and over again. Like they're just the 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 crazy ways people will bend Beaker and that to do something. It's just, you know. I think that's like one of my best parts, uh, favorite things about the community in general. Um, I really liked. The, there's recently a, 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 an uh, art exhibition in uh, in Moscow uh, at the Modern Museum Mavado, where there where somebody did an exhibition uh, on that network, uh, that Pico network, I guess. Um, uh, about you know collaboration and stuff like that, where you know the exhibition was peer to peer itself, uh, but also in a physical location. And you know that's just like I would never have imagined that when we started building these things that people would start doing those kind of things. That was just like very. That's also what I love about you. And know, that's what I'm you know tried to say earlier with the you know decentralized tech really enables a whole new thinking of of these apps that we 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 don't tend to see on the normal web. Yeah, it's a a lot of artists have been doing cool stuff. Like, um, there's a a lot of really neat zines that are being made, which is fun. There's these. There was one recently that was called Yin and Yang, and it was two different dat sites, and um, it would look at the pure count. And if you put the two sites side by side, whoever had the more most peers caused like this black sort of square to like grow into either the yin side or the yang side so like it was like a battle between the two sites which was really cool um there was a poem there was like a collaborative poem where to participate you would fork it and then you would add your bit to the end and so it makes this chain of people making changes and on and on and on and on um so there's there's been a lot of of cool little art projects that's so cool. Yeah. Enabling art sounds like uh, something that you, you really, you, you, you both seem pretty happy that, that it's, that I guess your early users are artists versus, like, sure. I guess, other, other, other potential early users. Is that, is that right? 
Yeah, because I mean, they're the people, I think, who have the skills to create artistic stuff. But again, they're not out there making, doing sysadmin stuff. So they're exactly the kind of people we want to be helping out and giving better tools to do what they do. So do you think there's going to be one um, like killer app that brings everybody to, to, the peer, to the decentralized web or to Beaker? Uh, or is it going to be more like, like a, bunch of, a bunch of these smaller things, that be, you know, enabling all these artists, enabling smaller people to produce sites? I think I think just like a uh, I think that's really interesting about the the, the peer to peer decentralized web here is that um, basically no matter no matter how you build an app on Beaker uh, you always end up owning your own data because that's how the protocol works uh, the way you make an app is you have some data that's usually just you know JSON data and then uh, you load in an application that then loads your data and renders it in a way that you can consume it so like uh, a social network on Beaker is just a bunch of JSON files of who you follow and and what you're posting and stuff like that. Um, so it really puts, you know, technically it puts the data at focus, but you also own the data, which means that, you know, we won't have like one social network. We can have a ton of different social networks all operating uh, uh, on demand as you pass your data into it and render it. Uh, so I think that's really exciting because that like kind of changes the, the 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 formula a little bit about, you know, how we not might not end up with like the one app people love, but they might have like, you know, without them knowing it, they might all love the same data schema, but, you know, all be using different apps in the same space. I think that's super exciting. Um, so the, the question is a little bit hard, I think, uh, for the decentralized web. Well, in a way, it's almost like the web itself is the killer app. Because mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's not any individual app. It's that you have all these different websites that are now networked together. They're all part of this one web. They can read each other's data. They can publish data that the other ones can read. Like something I, I kind of like to say jokingly is that the D-Web is the RSS killer. And the, the reason I think that's, that actually touches on something is that like RSS basically turned blogs into a decentralized social network. It was a way to aggregate together all these different blog posts, all of them published independently, all in their own domains, and you could aggregate them together into a reader. And that was the right track, right? That's how you get decentralized social networking. But RSS just had a little bit of trouble accomplishing what it wanted to. I think it took a little bit too much coordination to get going. The readers didn't have the same kind of features that like the services were putting out, like, you know, the ability to see who was following who and the ability to like things and, and reply and all that kind of stuff. And so RSS just didn't really survive. And then, of course, Google really killed it whenever they killed their reader. But in, in a way, what RSS made possible is really easy to do now on the D-Web because you can you're, you're you make your personal site let's just say you have a, a blog on on the d-web you're publishing the files probably actually as json right you're just pushing all these these json posts that are like a microblog post and then other people can publish their posts as json that cross link and like we have a, a a twitter clone called fritter that does it exactly like this and it's got likes and it's got reply threads and everything like that and the way it works is that there's not it's, it doesn't take as much coordination as RSS because we just know what the JSON formats are, what the schemas are. You crawl around to all the sites that are you're following. You just go to their site and you pull down the files that are relevant and you index them. And, and there you have it. You have this little social network. And the, so the coordination required is way less than what RSS required. And you're getting better results. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, it sounds almost like, uh, like, like RSS is a precursor to Beaker in a way because... You, it sounds like the model, I mean, the way Fritter works, as far as I understand it, is it's pretty similar to, it's, it's almost exactly that same model where you just download everything to your 
um, you know, to your local client uh, reader type thing. And then it just shows you everything. It shows you all the content and it's just a local experience. Yeah, I mean, because you, it's really, it's all files and it's all JavaScript that's running in the client. So it's really easy to create. I mean, like basically anytime you make any sort of uh, site on the D-Web that's publishing files, you have de facto created a new distributed sort of content protocol. Um, and so anybody can go out there and, and make their own JavaScript or use the w- JavaScript you used to, to read those files. And you can watch the files for changes so you can get real-time updates. And you just pull in those JSON objects and integrate them into a feed or, or a thread or whatever you need. And, and there you go. You've got your, your, your social app. So, so what, what features are missing, do you think? It, like what, um, what types of sites or apps are not possible to build with Beaker? And uh, you know, are, are you going to address that? Hmm. That's a good question. There's definitely some. I think the the when people run into limitations right now is when they try to rebuild existing centralized ideas on the decentralized web. And not that that's necessarily a bad idea, but that's where you probably feel like there's most things you would you would need. So um, that's very much like right now. It's very much like a. It's like the publisher has a lot of power, and the and the users are mostly just consumers, right? For for a site, we. Oh, well, Paul, you recently added the lobby stuff to it. Okay, I guess that kind of makes it more collaborative in that way. Yeah, that was designed to kind of help with this. I mean, that is yeah. a pull based protocol, you know. So like, you have to ask for any data that you're going to get. Um, and so an example of how that limitation shows up is if let's use Twitter as an example again. It looks and behaves a lot like Twitter, but if somebody follows me on Twitter. I'm not going to know about it because they have no way to push information to a stranger, right? right. I, have to, I have to be asking for that information. And that limitation ends up being a little bit tricky because uh, another example is like Google Docs, right? If you land on, you create a share link for Google Docs and hand it to somebody, they'll land on it and now you're in the space together. And that is not 100% there yet. But what we have started to do is put in ways to open up uh, data channels to other people that are on the same site as you so that you can start to communicate bi-directionally. And that's kind of an experiment um, that we think will need to be refined a little bit more over time. But that's that's kind of where the biggest limitation comes in right now. Yeah, actually, I also think I think some of the limitations, so like a limitation also, for example, would be like, let's say you wanted to build a, a website that hosted pictures, then uh, even if you have like a lobby system for, for the pictures to be hosted, you, somebody would need to you know review them and add them. So it's like, a, you know, it's like a classing human scaling issue there. And I, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to these kind of websites that are not like always on, but just like you know, they will be in only viewing mode for a while because they're decentralized and the the, the people maintaining them are not around right now because they're sleeping. And then they'll you know they'll get online and push out a change that like now we're online, now we accept new pictures and stuff like that. So like, it kind of have to we, we need to rethink that idea about the web a little bit more. Uh, I think for these for these applications, uh, but I think it's actually really exciting because it's just much newer ideas. We need yeah. to be a little bit more, a little bit more novel, I guess. You know, and there were there are ways that will work around those limitations. Just like you say, like one thing you could do, of course, is to have it so that yeah, the person has to come online and pull in updates that people have created and then publish them. And so you know, it's very personal. There's you can use crawlers as well to almost like Google does, just spider around the web and, and aggregate together things, and then you know look at the results of the crawler. Um, but probably the thing that um, I'm going to be focusing on in the next six months is getting a, a social graph created between people's personal websites. Because once you have a bi-directional following relationship between two people, 
you're going to be able to communicate with each other. You've got a reliable asynchronous channel now. And that will end up becoming a really effective backbone for building a lot of different applications. Um, and so like if I can get paulfrazy.com published and I can follow matthiasboost.com and he's following me, we can have all sorts of applications that take advantage of that following relationship between our two sites and, uh, and, and build anything we want. So the social story will actually work out pretty well. I have a, I have a listener question uh, for you both. Uh, what does success look like for Beaker and the team uh, or for, for each of you uh, personally? <laughs> nice. That's a good question. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's actually an interesting question because for me, I've been involved in this for a while and also just in the future peer space a while. And, you know, it's, it's such a moving goalpost, uh, what success is, because when we first started out with this, it's more like, would anybody even ever use it? Uh, then we know at some point you cross that and it's amazing. And then you're, you know, I recently hit this milestone a couple of months back where, you know, people are building things on the network that I don't know about, that I never tried, but other people are excited about it. And that was like also a huge milestone for me that it's like that big. I, I you know for the next one, next milestone for me is probably just like that. Um, we, you know, the network grows, obviously keep getting more people on it, more and more interesting apps um, and, uh, you know, get more and more communities on it that are not would normally be in these kind of tech communities. Like, you know, we talked a lot about how there, we have a lot of artists on there now, more stuff like that, I think is interesting. Uh, outside of just, just also just more, you know, mainstream adoption, obviously, it's always nice. Yeah, echoing sort of what you're saying there, it's the success mode, I think, is when it runs away from us a little bit, um, or a lot, you know, that we're trying to influence the, the direction of the web platform. And what, put, what we're putting out there is what we think ought to happen with the web to, to make it a, a fundamental improvement to how the web works. So um, I'll, I'll consider success to be whenever we have um, web standards that are getting adopted that follow this tech. So is there is there any progress on that front actually? Like are, brow- are current browsers interested in what you're working on? Have, have they talked to you about um, about like maybe implementing some of the APIs that, you're, um, that you've added to the, to the Beaker browser, anything like that? There's been a couple of milestones there, I guess. It's like a varying degree. We had a recently one where uh, uh, the DAD protocol and other decentralized protocols were accepted as a valid protocol, not implemented, but just like as a valid scheme. That means that you can do so certain security things in the browser now on those, which is like uh, means that, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thing that's here to stay, which I think is, is pretty big. Um, there's also been a, some work about uh, making all this stuff work with uh, extensions to kind of prototype it. Yeah, you know, Mozilla has been probably the most vocally interested. Um, but even then, I mean, everything moves pretty slowly in this in this world. Um, but what Mozilla has been doing, they they opened up the registering DAT protocols. That was the first thing they did. And now they have a experimental project called LibDWeb, which I, I don't know where that is in terms of its rollout. I think they're still kind of taking their time and evaluating it. But the idea that what they're pursuing is adding some enhancements to web extensions, the web extensions APIs, so that protocols like that can become extensions to the to the browser, um, which would open up not just the technology we've been working on, but all the other um, projects out there, all the other decentralization projects would be able to use that same stack and integrate into Mozilla without Mozilla having to explicitly say, we now support you know one or the other. And I think that's a, a really smart way to kind of let this stuff grow yeah i also know brave's been pretty um i guess sort of receptive at least they they added web torrent support uh 
hired me as a contractor to actually do it. Um, uh, and then I know that, I guess, Chrome has this thing happening now that I don't know if you guys have heard about it. There's a there's a new spec that they're working on called web packaging, which mm-hmm. um, it's it's like a way to um, have a website served by uh, by anyone, but be proven to be from a particular like signed by a particular uh, a producer or author. So I, I think they're interested in the context of AMP because yes. they want to basically want to be able to serve a cached version of a of a news article that comes from like let's say cnn.com um but they want to serve it from a google server and have um have it sent to the browser as like a packaged bundle that is signed by cnn so then the browser can say okay even though this is coming from google.com we're going to show cnn.com in the url bar because it's actually really ultimately proven to be from cnn um and i know there's like maybe some peer-to-peer use cases like some way to use i mean that seems pretty applicable right um but yeah i don't yeah i'm curious what you guys think about all this yeah web package is cool it's it's a little bit crippled compared to having a full peer-to-peer network so if if you know web package ended up being where all this stopped i'd be somewhat disappointed and i think the, the major reason is that web package doesn't have the same effect of opening up the end user to do publishing um, it's great for AMP, but uh, not so great for moving data control and code control into the user's hands. Yeah, I agree. It's like it's 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 interesting, but it's mostly you know just tech interesting. It's not none of this other stuff, and it's uh, I would kind of wish it would go way further in terms of um, you know the P2P capabilities of the browser if we wanted to really make this work uh, well. That would be my preference. Interesting. It sounds a little bit like um, like in the same category as WebRTC maybe, where, where, where it, you know, it, it's almost like the peer-to-peer use case wasn't really the intended use case for the spec, but you'll probably find people who are hacking that use case out of it, even, you know, even though it's not really meant for it. Yeah, I mean, from a personal point of view, I think it's, I think it's a good analogy you say there because it seems very use case driven more than like big picture driven, like kind of like how WebRTC, we need, a, <laughs> we need to make a, a web recording work well in the browser. And this is like, we need to, make AMP work better or like AMP-like things instead of big picture like, oh, it would be cool to have more decentralized stuff in there so we can make this whole new network. It's hard. I understand why. Cool. So what's what's next for, for Beaker? What's like uh, on the roadmap in the next... Uh, I know, I know Paul, you said for the next six months you're going to be be working on um, the uh, sort of social networking tools, but what what about like maybe the DAT protocol? Matthias, what are you... What, what's coming next for DAT? Uh, and so we have a... Uh, <clears throat> uh, ever-changing roadmap as any uh, project, but uh, we have a lot of new collaboration stuff coming out. Uh, there's like, a, we've been working a lot of uh, on what we call multi-writer that's happening at some point where, you know, right now it's a very, uh, the publisher basically, is, the original publisher right now is the only person that can modify the data. We've been working on ways to, that allow um, the publisher to invite other people to to take part in the data. Um, that's like a bigger that's like a, a bigger focus re, uh, iteration we're doing um and then uh, just a ton of small improvements here and there we 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 shipping a lot of uh, actually just ways of making it faster and scale better because uh, there are a lot of people already using it uh, so that helps uh, helps a lot uh, we ship those almost weekly so i'm going to keep doing that also um and then um i think that's the main ones for that right now so like stability and and and, and more collaboration features 
yeah, multi-writer is going to be pretty important. They, it's great for collaboration because then you can say, hey, Matias, I've got this website I made. I want you to be able to write files to it. So I'm going to add Matias as a writer. So that's obviously got mm -hmm. a lot of value. But it's also really valuable for handling multiple devices. That's um, true. Because right now you have to use the same device that you created the site with. And when we have multi-writer, you'll be able to add in your other desktops and you'll be able to add your mobile phone and stuff like that. So multi-writer will be a really big improvement to the protocol. Yeah, it's true. Like you just did that thing where I talked about it from a technical point of view and you actually put it in <laughs> users' terms, which is so true. Like it's it's a pretty big limitation right now that you have to use the same device, you know, especially in this like uh, environment where everybody has a phone and stuff like that. So that's that's gonna be huge for sure. Huge for sure. Yeah, I hear a lot of people saying that's something that they're waiting on and that which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, from the beaker perspective, uh, we're playing what I like to call ground ball. Um, because we have been sort of exploring how to make the tech work, how to build applications, and so on and so forth. And we, I think we've actually gotten out of that exploratory phase. We're pretty sure about how it's all, all the pieces are supposed to fit together. And so now it's about stepping through every pro, uh, sort of every step in the flow of somebody sitting down for the first time and wrapping their head around the tools and then successfully creating a site and having it stay reliably online and have a nice domain name and all that. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time um, in the next six months working on that and then working on the tools that help people network their sites together. And the, the, the tools that help people network together, the, the API I'm working on is called Citizen. So keep an eye out for that. Nice. And I know Tara was working on docs. Uh, I saw the updated docs on the Beaker site that are way, way better than what was there before. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's she up to for the next? What is she going to be focusing on for the next uh, foreseeable feature? It's actually, in a lot of ways, um, an extension of that. Her her big focus is making sure that we're communicating really strongly with people, documenting things, explaining everything. Um, uh, and also, she is um, a big hand in making sure that things look good. You know, because she has just such a better eye for UI design than I do. Um, so that's she's going to be working on that nice well um i think this is probably a good time to start to wrap it up we're approaching an hour uh so i just want to say i think uh this has been really fun and um and it's it's just really impressive what a small team of of you know just you guys are just three people what you've been able to accomplish with beaker browser and what you've been able to ship um you know with with on on uh such a uh shoestring budget and like just how useful it is and how and how promising it, it seems so um yeah thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk with me today and uh for sh you know sharing all of your knowledge with uh, the js party crew you bet thanks for having us yeah thanks all right thank you for tuning in to js party this week tuning live on thursdays at 1 p.m u.s eastern at changelaw.com slash live Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at Changelaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash Changelaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder, and you can find more shows just like this at changelaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.